got a not a visiting speaker, a guest speaker. A speaker, <laughs> a guest speaker no. This is Matthew. He's going to come up and uh, yeah. speak for us today. And um, now, I just want to say a little bit about this guy. No, no. Uh, <laughs> he's an adorable guy. Yeah, I wasn't going to use this. No, he's taken as well. Uh, so, okay. you know. He's got a lovely, lovely lady. So, <laughs> so all you girls. Um, but no, he is a, a fantastic guy. I've known him since he was ten years old. Yes. Ten. He yeah. came to me as a piano student. Year two thousand. Year 2000, yep. and we took him through all his piano grades and, and a whole, you know, long journey of different stuff. Yes. And uh, then when he was around 18, I think, he came in wearing a, a T-shirt that had the Joker on it <laughs> with these, you know, like things. They look like horns. And I said, oh, what, you're wearing Satan today? <laughs> and he goes, like this, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> And anyway, that led me, I was at the, at the time I was writing a book, uh, an apologetic book about um, the existence of God and reasons to believe that God exists. And I said, well, this is what it means. Have a read of this. And I just had a few, I just handed him a couple of pages and he, hmm. and I left him to read it. And I walked up upstairs and made myself a coffee and came back down and he looked, he put them down, he looked at me and goes, now this is very interesting. And I said, well, do you believe in God? And he goes, I don't really have an idea of God or a concept of God. And that was it for me. I just let loose. And <laughs> anyway, um, consequently, our piano lessons turned into theological lessons. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he was booked in to come for an hour piano lesson, which would last four hours per week. So I put him in the morning at about 10 o'clock, and it wouldn't finish till 2, yeah. uh, literally, yeah. every week. And uh, so... Therefore, for two years, he didn't learn any piano. <laughs> and he tried to finish grade eight for like two, three years. He finally did finish. We got it done. Surprisingly. Got... So, yeah, but uh, he's a fantastic guy. He's got a real passion for apologetics and, um, and all things that uh, help you to become a reasoned Christian. So he's never believed blindly, as atheists will try to say about Christians. He's always believed uh, through evidence-based um, uh, evidence-based writings and, yeah. and so on and and I think it's a you know he's a he's a testament to this church and, and a wonderful man of God he's just gone from strength to strength all the way so there's my introduction wow yeah. so let's give him a round of applause yeah. as he comes in well I don't know how I can fail expectations now after that introduction I'm not sure <laughs> Oh dear, no, look, thanks for that, and um, I think even this morning, um, you know, we know God's behind this sort of thing here, um, rocking up here at 9.30 and we had some prayer this morning and Rob and I both thinking, oh yes, we've both got everything under control here, this is working well, and then two minutes to the service, Rob says, now where's that USB of your PowerPoint that you've got? Ah. <laughs> misunderstandings all over the place so there I go running off as you would have seen if you were here when I was leaving the building so we've got it all worked out hopefully this is still a wonderful sermon this morning but um, I think God's behind it all so this morning we're going to have uh, a bit of a different Easter sermon uh, I mean we've already touched a little bit on um, a variety of things I think uh, there'll be something here for everyone though. Uh, hopefully something of interest to you before I get started, and especially after the um, wonderful words that were given this morning, I'm going to go back at you and give you some wonderful words. <laughs> this is 
So I think it's important that whenever anyone comes up here, we do acknowledge that, um, Rob, thank you for all that you do in this place, especially, yes. and you, Vina, as well, yes. for all the efforts that you do go uh, to. We probably don't thank you enough. Um, oh, and so yes, you I, know you, I, I know you're very humble about it, and, and we thank you for that as well. But um, it's definitely an acknowledgement we all should make more. And uh, especially thanks for giving me the opportunity this morning to, to speak to all you wonderful people. Um, hopefully you'll think at the end of it that was worthwhile. Um, <laughs> All right, so um, it's yeah, it's definitely not something I take lightly coming up here, especially on Easter, um, somewhat of an important service, I think. It's a real privilege to do this, uh, and like I said, I hope everyone uh, gets something out of it this morning. So if you've been a Christian for your whole life, or for the last week, or even if you aren't a Christian sitting here right now, I reckon there's going to be something for you today in um, what I'm bringing to you. Now, I'm a very structured person, for those of you that uh, don't know me, so uh, what I'm going to do is just map out sort of where we're going today. So, we're going to talk about uh, some practical tips uh, for walking out your spiritual life. Uh, I think a great point, being Easter, where we're all thinking about it, let's you know assess what's going on in our lives. We're also going to have a look at some church history, uh, the story of the Bible, how we got um, the thing that's under our chairs or in our hands or got there. And then to finish off, uh, we're going to have a look at, because it's Easter, some resurrection apologetics, just briefly. So as you can see, quite a bit to get through today, and it's two minutes to 11, and I think we're aiming for 11.30, so I reckon it should be fine. <laughs> All right, now one final note before I get started. Uh, some of you have already seen me speak, uh, and you'll know that usually when I speak, there are copious amounts of chocolate that are given out because we try and get some audience participation. Bad luck's not happening today. Sorry about that. Um, any audience participation is purely um, going to build up treasure in heaven. It's not, it's not, you're not getting anything from me. I think this Easter we've probably got enough chocolate anyway. Um, so we'd really like your uh, participation if you can as well. So let's get started with our uh, stuff on spiritual growth. So. Starting off this morning, uh, I'd just like to ask you all a question and yell it out um, when you uh, have an answer or have an opinion. What do we reckon church is? Praising the Lord. Yep, very good, Anthony. So one person has had an answer there. Let's all have a go. Come on. A group of people, people. with the same heart for yep. Christ. Yeah, yep. excellent. Yep. And anyone else dare to throw something out there? A building. I knew there was you were taking up a smarter position than I usually occupy. <laughs> no. A leader. Who's sorry? A leader. Yes. Very good. I didn't have that one written down, so you've thrown me there. That's excellent. Uh, no. So I I think there's a, a number of definitions we could all we could all give it, and we've probably got thoughts in our own minds that we just we don't want to share right now. But yeah, I had. Uh, it's not merely a building, as you. Rightly, rightly known. Uh, a group of united believers, yes. Uh, a house of prayer for all nations, uh, another one that Jesus suggested the church should be. Uh, a place where believers gather regularly to exercise spiritual gifts. A place of worship. Um, like I said, I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's many more. I like to think of church, and we're going to look at it today in this light, as a place of encouragement for one another uh, and a place of learning. Uh, I'm sure you've thought about that before, but that's just what I want to focus on now. So it's where we come each week to worship God. To be encouraged by one another through the words said and also learning something through the sermon that's spoken. Um, I think that's an important part as well. So this morning on Easter, I'd like us to think back on the first three months of this year. Now, with that in mind, 
Just hold track there. You heard me right, I said let's think this morning. If people in the church are afraid of thinking, then should we really be here? What did Jesus say about thinking? What did Jesus say about using our minds? Did he say that use your mind all week in your work when you get paid to do it? Or use it all work at uni or at school? But then on Sunday, leave it in the car and just come along and sort of think blindly about it. If we could all turn to Matthew 22, verse 37, and I'm sure many of you will know what this verse is. Okay, so Matthew 22, verse 37. uh, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, like I said, I'm sure many of you have heard that scripture before. Uh, But God is interested in our whole heart, our whole soul and our whole mind. Do we sometimes neglect the mind on a Sunday morning? So something I want us to take from to take from this today is that Jesus is interested in us being intellectual about our faith. So why why is thinking important? I would say, and as Jesus has just said, it's a form of worship. And when I say intellectual, I don't mean let's all get up front and show off what we know about the Bible and all that in a self-serving sort of manner. But I mean, let's really show God that we can apply our minds and understand him. To believe in God, you've got to understand his qualities and his characteristics. I mean, how would you tell the difference between a Muslim God, or the God of Islam, and the God of the Mormons, and our God? If you don't know the differences, you can't tell the difference. God is the same word. So if you understand God as being, as some atheists do, a flying spaghetti monster, then you're not believing in the same God that I am, but we're using the same word. So you've really got to know what that word means, what that word refers to. So to understand him, you've got to think. So don't be afraid of thinking. That's, that's my point. So going back to my question that I asked before, the last three months of your Christian walk, have a think about it. What, what's different today compared with, let's just say, January the 1st, for, for ease of that? What have you learned new about God since then? Or have you got maybe a little bit closer to him? Maybe you guys don't think this way. I'm not sure. I I certainly do, but I don't do it all the time. I try to think this way. So at work, and this might be a reason why I do it, but at work, uh, we have something called annual reviews. It's almost like you're getting re-interviewed for your job again sort of thing. We sit back with the owners of the business and uh, managers there and reflect on the last 12 months of my performance. And we do it for all staff, it's not just me. Um, To see what's happened, you know, where have you come from, what's improved, what hasn't, what's been a challenge, all that sort of thing. It's a review at the end of the day. If nothing has improved though, you're not going to last the next 12 months. You know, why should someone pay you to never improve? That's how it is in the workplace, right? But should the same be true in our Christian walk? If we're we're just treading water in God and we're struggling in the same things we've struggled for for the past three to four years, then I'm going to bring you a newsflash today. What we're doing to overcome those things, it's not working. Now, please don't think that I've got this worked out perfectly. I certainly don't. Um, I don't think anyone does. But the best I can do today is offer some practical tips from my life um, and... That how, sorry, how it's helped me achieve some spiritual growth, and hopefully that can be useful for yourselves. 
But why do we want to grow? I mean, is, is growth important to us? It's not so that we can impress one another with how many Bible facts we know and things like that. Of course that's not it. We owe it to God to put him first and to make him a priority. What are we celebrating today? I mean, we're celebrating Easter. Jesus sacrificing his very own life for our sins. So has he done something for us? I think it's a lot more than just something. I think he deserves to be number one priority in our lives. Especially, yeah, like I say, especially with what we're celebrating today, being Easter. All right, so I'm going to give us three simple tips on some, uh, yeah, some practical tips on growth. These things have worked for me. Now, you can take them or leave them. Uh, It's up to you, but this is what has worked for me. So there's three. The first one, read the Word. So who's read from the Bible today? Now, this is where we get a bit of audience participation in. Hands up if you have. Now, I think you all have, because didn't we do public reading of Scripture before? So, for those who didn't put your hand up, let's get our minds going here. Let's pay attention. Um, who's read from it this week? Obviously, before today. Who's, who's had a read of it this week? Yeah, very good. Ask yourselves these questions too, though. I mean, this isn't just a thing that I get to see who's done it. I mean, I, I don't really mind who has or who hasn't. I certainly haven't every day. Uh, but ask yourselves these questions. Have I dropped the ball on this recently? Maybe it has been a week. Maybe it has been a few weeks. Don't get me wrong, it shouldn't be just a robotic process every morning, right? I read five verses, then I put it down, then I go and do the next thing. You, know, you don't want to do it so that you're not taking it in. But then you also just want to never, you don't want to ever not pick it up. You know, you've, got to, you've, got to actually get, you've got to actually get it in front of you. So I think Rob did some wonderful sermons on this earlier in the year, and a lot of you would have been here. Uh, I believe they were, there was a few of them called Know Thy Word. Uh, just, it, it really spoke to me in that that should be a priority for us. We should be getting into the Word. Let me ask you this. Where's the one place that it's guaranteed you're hearing 100% from God when you read it? Well, I've given it away when I've said that. Of course, it's His Word. Not in someone's book or in something you hear in a dream or something like that. The Bible is 100% guaranteed. So why wouldn't we want to read from it? You might say reading's hard, I don't have time to do it. Well, that is going to be point three when we get to that. The Bible might be hard to understand, I hear you, I I understand. Uh, Get a commentary, get a couple of commentaries. Do some study on it, It, it's not that hard. If you can understand what's going on in a Hollywood movie, if you can understand what's going on in the news, you can probably understand most of the Bible. If you don't understand something in the news, you're probably going to Google it, or you're probably going to do some more research on it. Do the same for the Bible. Another thing, and this is going to be a second half of the sermon, but do you know how we actually got the Bible? We're going to touch on this, and I think almost out of the respect for the sacrifices that have gone before us, we should be reading this every day. If we really know where we got it from, I think it will spur us on some more. So like I said, we're going to look at that later on. What about how do I read the Bible? It's so big, I'm never going to get through it. Uh, It's daunting. Well, I agree. But if you actually want to make it a priority, then can I suggest one thing? And we've talked about this before in this place. Maybe do a Bible plan. Some people don't like the structure of a Bible plan. Some people might think, oh, it's too regimented and and all of that. But I'm a big believer in if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you're serious about weightlifting, which I clearly am not, um, then you're going to pay money. Uh, and go and get an online gym program or you're going to get a diet plan or 
or something like that. If, you're, if you want to see the results, you're going to get a plan. Well, Bible plans are even better than that because they're free, first of all. And there are so many of them. You will find something that is tailored to your goals, believe me. Have a Google this afternoon if you're interested in it, but that is something I can definitely encourage. Now, this one is not one that I want you guys to put your hands up. I just want you to think about it because it really is between you and God. But have a think to yourselves. How long have you been a Christian? Or how long would you consider yourself a Christian? And then again, think to yourselves, in those years, how many times have you read the Bible from beginning to end? Now, personally, that second question is why I'm currently doing a year-long Bible plan, because I'm coming up eight years being a Christian, and I can definitely say I've not read it through as many times as I would like to. Certainly not eight times, that's for sure. But again, let me just encourage you to know the Word and know what you believe. All right, so that was tip number one. Tip number two, listening to preaching and to teaching. Now, most of us here have got jobs, or go to school, or go to uni. We've got activities that occupy our day. We, we do lead busy lives, don't get me wrong. Finding time for God can be difficult. Yet somehow, depending on what our passions are, and some of these might apply to you, some might not, somehow in all of the busyness, we still have time to know what that new song on the radio is. We've seen that latest movie. We've seen the latest episode of our favourite TV show. Or in my case, we know every sports result that has happened in the last week. We're so busy, yet we always know these things. Now, I'm not saying we're not allowed to do fun things. Don't, don't get me wrong there. But is there time in our lives when we could squeeze maybe an audio recording of a sermon? Again, these are tips from my life. Take them or leave them. I personally, I don't really listen to the radio that much. So maybe once or twice when we're driving or something like that, I might listen to music. But other than that, I don't really get involved in it too much. Now, that might be a big sacrifice for some of you, um, but for me, it's something I've found really useful. I listen, when I'm in the car, I'm listening to podcasts. Now, you might say, what is that really he's just set up there? They're just audio recordings, right? So my point of encouragement here is utilise the time when you can't read, but you can listen. So for me, that's driving to and from work every day. Or anywhere else I'm driving. Now already that's 45 minutes a day. Also when I exercise, instead of music, I go with a podcast, listen to a sermon or something like that. It's surprising how it all adds up. Especially when you think you're real clever and you put it on double speed. Often you don't quite get every word, but still you think you're really... It's just another option, of course. So what do I listen to? And this is just a rough list of guidance for people. Well, you can listen to sermons... I don't know if everyone here is aware, but the sermons of this church go online. You can listen to audio sermons from here. You can listen to Joe Schimmel's sermons, the sister church. You can listen to, to radio shows. So will record radio shows out there where one of my favourites is where people ring up with tough questions, you know, apologetic sort of questions, and get the, uh, get the host's opinion on them and, you know, how would you best answer this sort of thing. You can listen to Sunday school classes. A lot of them are recorded. Uh, William Lane Craig's Defenders class, of course, gets recorded. I can highly recommend that. Uh, and then, of course, you can listen to debates. Uh, and I've found a, a new podcast called Unbelievable, uh, and it's from England. Uh, and usually they'll get a, a Christian scholar and an atheist scholar on, and they'll have a discussion on a topic. It's actually quite interesting. There'll be something out there for you, though. That's, that's my point. <laughs> if Sunday morning is the only sermon you hear a week, then maybe it's a goal you look to improve. Imagine seven 
sermons a week. Imagine what difference that would make in your spiritual life. Now, here I'm not just talking to the adults. Kids, of course, speak to your parents. But I'm sure that you know most of the latest music, the latest movies, the latest stuff like that. You've also got time to squeeze in. All right, and now for my third point. My final practical tip, and this is for male, female, young and old, this is for everyone, is to read books. Now, I've touched on some of this already, but let me quote from one of the podcasts I listened to. They did a really interesting uh, thing on reading books. So this is from the Breakpoint podcast earlier in uh, February. Think you don't have time to read a book. Let me tell you how to read 200 books this year, seriously. When asked the secret of his success, billionaire investor Warren Buffett pointed to a stack of books and said, read 500 pages like this a day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All of you can do it, but I guarantee not many of you will. In fact, many of us don't. Now, these are some American reading habit stats. That's just because that's where the podcast is from, but I'm sure things are pretty similar here in Australia. Now, these stats are staggering and not in a good way. According to the Literacy Project Foundation, 44% of American adults don't read a book in a year. One book in a year. And six out of ten households do not even buy one book in a year. Now, I find this shocking, but if you look at the trajectory of our culture, it shouldn't surprise us, really. So how many books have we read this year? Let me tell you something you already know. Reading is critically important, especially for Christian believers. God, after all, reveals himself to us in the written words of Scripture. Think about it. When we read the word, we place ourselves in the very presence of God. So why read? Well, Michael Hyatt, an author, said that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. Beyond helping us gather information and data, Hyatt says that reading makes us better thinkers, improves our people skills, helps us master communication. In addition to the spiritual, intellectual and relational benefits, reading helps us combat stress and helps to keep our minds sharp. Martin Luther once said, if you want to change the world, pick up your pen and write. And the podcast added to this and said, if you want to change your world, pick up a book and read. And here's the good stuff, and this is the really practical stuff that I took from this podcast. So how do we accomplish this, reading 200 books a year, in a world of binge-watching, incessant social media, commuting, and a million other distractions? Well, a recent article by Charles Chu at QZ.com, check it out if you're interested, he said, in the time you spend on social media each year, you could read 200 books. Now, before I go into this calculation, have a think about how this might apply to you. You might not be in exactly the same position, but maybe just have a go at calculating this this afternoon when you, when you sit down. So his logic was simple. The average American, and I would say the average Australian, reads about 200 to 400 words per minute. Say a typical book is 50,000 words, right? Now, this is a real accountant sort of calculation here because it's a heap of numbers, but say a typical book is 50,000 words. 200 such books, of 50,000, gives you about uh, 10 million words to read, right? At 400 words per minute, it would take 417 hours in a year to read 200 books. So 417 hours a year to read 200 books, right? We got that? Those of you that can do maths pretty well, uh, that's 1.14 hours a day. So it's just over an hour a day. Oh, but we're too busy to do that. So where would we find an hour a day in our busy lives? 
Well, Chu says, this is the guy that wrote the article, that the average American spends 608 hours a year on social media. That works out to about one and a half hours a day. And I reckon that's pretty accurate for some of us. If you say you spend 30 minutes before work, 30 minutes at lunchtime and 30 minutes after work, well, there's, your, there's your one and a half hours. Also, the average American, 1,642 hours watching TV. That's nearly four and a half hours a day. If those hours were spent reading instead, you could actually read a thousand books a year. Chu goes on. Here's the simple truth behind reading a lot of books. It's not that hard. We have all the time we need. The scary part, the part we all ignore, hold on, the part we all ignore is that we're too addicted, too weak, and too distracted to do what we know is important. And let me read that again, and you just tell me if you think this description fits someone like the Apostle Paul. That we're too addicted, too weak, and too distracted to do what we all know is important. Not really Paul, is it? So what do we read? And then the podcast goes on to describe this. Of course we read the Bible. Uh, of course, I, and then the, sorry, the podcast then suggests you know, a bit of history, theology, I would say apologetics in there as well, fiction, and even poetry. C.S. Lewis once said, it's a good rule after reading a new book never to allow yourself another new one until you've read an old one in between. Another good tip there. So I hope these words might have inspired us to go home this afternoon and have a think about you know, the last time we read a book or starting a new book or something like that. Something I try and do, and again, practical tip, is read. try and read a book a week. Now, those of you that know me closely will know that I never achieve that. Um, maybe try for two weeks. The point is try. And read books you want to read. There's no point rushing, some, rushing through something you're bored with. The more you read, the more other books become suggested to you. If you're reading a non-fiction book, there might be a recommended reading at the back of that. Read those books too. Just start. That's the key. So let's recap on our three practical tips to spiritual growth, according to Matt. <laughs> so we're going to read the Bible, we're going to listen to recordings of preaching and lessons, and we're going to read books. Books that challenge you. My last word of encouragement, and this is really to the kids here as much as it is to the adults, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular when I say this, but ask, why are you here today? Are we here because we want to be here? Or are we here because our wife has dragged us here? Or our parents have dragged us here? Now, they in themselves are not bad reasons for being here, don't, don't get me wrong, but we really should be here because we want to be here. Yes. We believe we need to be here. We know enough about our faith to understand what we believe and why we believe it. It's a gradual growing process, and I certainly, as I've said, don't know it all. I'm here to learn, though, and I hope that these words today have made this more of a priority in your lives. For those of you that don't know, I wasn't, well, I mean, Rob went into the story a bit before, but I wasn't raised in a church, and my parents aren't in this room right now. But I'm here because I think Christianity is true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not think that, and that's fine to admit that, but don't just leave it there. Think about it. Find out for yourself. Own your decisions and hopefully own your Christianity. Test it so you've got confidence in it. Make it your number one priority in life. So hopefully that has said something to you this morning. Now we're going to change track a little bit here uh, and we're going to look at some church history. Now for those of you watching the clock, we're just about halfway through so hopefully everyone's still pretty fresh. The number one, and if not bad luck, uh, the number one sacrifice that we must think about on Easter is, of course, Jesus, and we've, we've looked at that already this morning. But I want to look at some other important historical figures, 
all in an effort to help you see that the book you have in your hand or on, or on your shelf at home is a special book. If I was to say to you that this book was forged in blood and through the sacrifice of others, would you read it more? Would you treat it perhaps with more reverence if you knew the lengths that people in the past have gone to ensure that we have it in our own language, freely available? Do we know the context and history of how we got this book? It's a question to ask ourselves. If you want to look more into this after today, let me recommend a book, surprisingly. This one is called uh, In the Beginning. Now, I don't know if you guys can read that from there, maybe not. In the Beginning, the story of how the King James, or the story of the King James Bible. Now, this is one that really just it details all the history of how we got just to the King James, and then obviously beyond that, there's been more translations. Now, you might recall I've done a message before on why I don't use the King James Bible and, and all of that. This, that's not the book I use. For. This is purely uh, impartial. It's just a history book, basically. So we're going to look at some facts today, and then we're going to talk about three individuals. <coughs> the first English Bible. Get that one up there. What was the first English Bible? Participation? Anyone? Was it Tyndall's? Uh, very interesting, yes, yeah. There isn't a wrong answer, I guess, in this. In this. That, that's what I thought everyone would say, Deborah. Everyone appears to have lost their tongue this morning. John? Uh, very good, yes. Good names that we're all mentioning. Um, I guess, and, and don't feel bad if you don't know, I wouldn't have known until I read this book, but I guess I'm trying to say we should know this stuff, we should look into it. Um, it's pretty complicated, though, as to which is the first English Bible. So this timeline this morning we're going to go through, we're going to start at AD 400. Now, some of you will see that and go, right, this is going to be boring. <laughs> Let me just warn you that history is not boring if you actually get into it, okay? Um, is this not the most important thing we should know about? We're Christian. Yes. So at AD 400, uh, we've got the, trans the first translation of the Latin Vulgate. Okay? Now, some of you might have heard about this before. This was the standard text for a number of years, but you'll note that I said it's the Latin Vulgate, so in Latin. Mm -hmm. Then we go to AD 735, and we have a historian called Bede. I'm sure I've pronounced that incorrectly. He translated the Gospel of John into Old English. Okay? Now, here's a little example of some Old English. It's not the Gospel of John, though. Anyone like to read? Or you might not even be able to see it from there, but you, you won't be able to get there. Old English isn't quite where we're at today. So the next step on our timeline, in this period, King Alfred the Great translated the Psalms and the Ten Commandments. Still into Old English, though. Now we're into Middle English. AD 1380 to 1382, John Wycliffe and his associates make the first translation of the whole Bible into English. So just think about these years. 1525, William Tyndale <coughs> makes the first translation of the New Testament from Greek into English. 1560, the Geneva Bible was published. 1568, the Bishop's Bible was published. And then, almost a modern translation the King James Bible was published in 1611. So that's why you can see it's complicated as to what the first one is. Why was it this way, though? Well, I think any of you know anything about church history, it was a bit political at the time. 
There was really just the one church, the Roman church. The Bible was only quoted in Latin in churches and even then was only read by the leaders of the church. There was a bit of a power struggle and those in authority didn't want to lose control or standing or even money. The common man on the street couldn't read nor get access to God's word in his own language. How easy do we have it now? Almost got it too easy, I think. These three people were influential to this whole process of translating and protesting against the practices of the church. Can anyone tell me, not that you'd recognise them from their images, but does anyone know who any of these people could be? We've already mentioned some of them today. Yes, Yes, correct. Wycliffe is the furthest on the left there. Yep. Uh, All right, then there's two more. Anyone, any ideas? In the middle, we've got John Huss. You might have heard of him before. And then closest to me, we've got William Tinder. Okay, so again, you might think, well, who cares who these people were? But I want to tell you their stories, and I think their stories will transform how you think about them. Uh, We're just going to go through a few brief points, though. We'll start with John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was considered Oxford's leading philosopher at the time and theologian when he became pastor of a local parish. He argued that the Roman church was already too wealthy and that Christ called his disciples to poverty, not wealth. After saying these things, he was, let's say, questioned by church authorities. His first meeting ended in an open brawl, so you can see how things were going to go. His second trial or meeting, he stated, I am ready to defend my convictions even unto death. I have followed the sacred scriptures and the holy doctrines. He went on to say that the Pope and the Church were second in authority to Scripture, which we would all agree with today. For this, Wycliffe was put under house arrest. He said, trust wholly in Christ, rely altogether on his sufferings, beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than his righteousness. He believed that every Christian should have access to Scripture, not the Latin uh, at the time, and he began translating the Bible into English with his good friend John Purvey. The church's response to this translation. By this translation, the scriptures have become vulgar and they, are, and they are more available to the lay and even to women. Who can, who can read? That was the... Rather than to the learned scholars who have high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and, un, and trodden underfoot by swine. That was the church's response. Wycliffe replied, Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostles. Now, Wycliffe died, actually, before his translation was complete, and he died peacefully in his bed. However, 43 years after his death, officials from the church dug up his body, burned his remains, and threw his ashes into the river Swift. All right, our next character, John Huss, a reformer from today's Czech Republic. So these aren't all just English people. To escape poverty, Huss trained for the priesthood and said, I have thought to become a priest quickly in order to secure a good livelihood. And then in response to that a few years later, though he spent some time with what he called a foolish sect, he finally discovered the Bible. When the Lord gave me knowledge of scriptures, I discharged that kind of stupidity from my foolish mind, the good living by being a priest sort of thing. The writings of John Wycliffe actually stirred his interest in the Bible. To cut a story short, things kicked off where John Huss was and he was excommunicated from the church. A law was put upon the city of Prague. No citizen could receive communion 
or be buried on church grounds as long as Huss continued his ministry. To spare the city, Huss withdrew to the countryside towards the end of 1412. In 1414, the Council of Constance assembled, and Huss was urged by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund to come and give an account of his doctrine. The important thing here was that Huss was promised safety. So Huss went along, Huss arrived, Huss was immediately arrested. And he remained in prison for months. Instead of a hearing, Huss was eventually hauled before authorities in chains and asked merely to recant of his views. On the 6th of July, 1415, he was taken to the cathedral, dressed in his priestly garments and then stripped of them, one by one. He refused one last chance to recant at the stake, where he prayed. Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies. And apparently he was heard reciting the Psalms as the flames engulfed him. And to finish up, William Tyndale. Now, William Tyndale could speak seven language, languages and was proficient in ancient Hebrew and Greek. He was a priest whose intellectual gifts and disciplined life could have taken him a long way in the church. Had he not had one issue, and that was to teach English men and women the good news of justification by faith. Tyndale's life passion was that Christ desires his mysteries be published abroad as widely as possible. I would that the Gospels be translated into all languages of all Christian people and that they might be read and known. So to find a hospitable environment, he left England, travelled to Europe. There, the new, there in 1525, his New Testament emerged, the first translation from the Greek into the English language, and it was quickly smuggled back into England. Now, at that time, Henry VIII was in power, and his response to the translation, it is not worthy to be called Christ's testament, but either Tyndale's own testament or the testament of his master, the Antichrist. Now, authorities, and they didn't think this one through that well, authorities thought, how can we get rid of this? We'll buy it up. Which ironically only financed Tyndale's work even further. <laughs> and they hatched plans to silence him. So Tyndale was on the run. In May 1535, Henry Phillips lured Tyndale away from the safety of his quarters and into the arms of soldiers. Tyndale, at that point, while still on the run, was in the practice of completing good works in public still. Tyndale was immediately taken to the castle of Vilvord and accused of heresy. Finally, in August 1536, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, degraded from the priesthood and delivered to the secular authorities for punishment. On Friday, October the 6th, local officials took their seats. Tyndale was brought to the cross in the middle of the town square and given a chance to recant. He refused and he was given a moment to pray. The English historian John Fox said he cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. He was then bound to the beam, both an iron chain and rope were put around his neck. Gunpowder was added to the brush and logs, and at the signal of a local official, the executioner standing behind Tyndale tightened the noose and strangled him. Then an official took a lighted torch and handed it to the executioner, who set the wood ablaze. So these men, and all that stood with them, paid the ultimate price for what we have today. We should know these stories. We should let them dwell in our minds. When we pick up the word, of course we do it out of reverence to God. 
But we also should consider what God's people have done to secure this for us. This book, I think you'll agree, is truly forged in blood. But let's return to the celebration of Easter. Let's go back to Jerusalem. The first shedding of blood. Now we've talked today about Easter, but can we actually believe in it? And this will just be a quick recap. Many of you will recall uh, when I last gave a sermon, it was entitled titled The Resurrection. And it was all about apologetic arguments for the resurrection. So firstly, I suggest that if anyone has any doubt in the resurrection, what we're talking about here, uh, what Christians are celebrating, can I refer you to that sermon? Because I don't have time to go fully uh, back into it. Just type in, if you've got the Google there, just type in Blessed Hope Chapel SA and the resurrection, and I think you should find it. But from the sermon, you might remember, we spoke about four facts, and then there was four facts plus one, so five facts in all. The facts were Jesus' death by crucifixion, the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead, the conversion of Paul, and the conversion of James. Now very briefly, very briefly, because I can see the time, I just want to remind you of why these are facts, and they're not just assertions, not just opinions of me. So let's look at the first one. We'll get to the empty tomb in a second. Jesus' death by crucifixion. Remember, many first and second century unfriendly Roman and Jewish sources acknowledged that Jesus was crucified and died. The Roman guards faced death if they allowed a prisoner to survive crucifixion. Jesus would have had to control the bleeding from all the beatings and crucifixion to somehow survive it. Yet he was pinned to a cross and had a spear thrust into him. He was not in control. Now the second one, the disciples believed Jesus rose from the dead. Now there's two arms to this argument. They claimed it and then they believed it. They claimed it, well, have a look at Paul and his writings and the early letters from the church. They believed in it, well, we see in Acts and some secular writings, the writings of Polycarp and uh, Tertullian, the willingness for the disciples to pay for their belief in their own blood. And then we'll look at the conversion of Paul. How did Paul, from the start of Acts, become Paul at the end of Acts? And and even after Acts, Paul, of course, paying the ultimate price for his belief. And then the conversion of James. James, of course, you might remember, didn't actually believe Jesus until after the resurrection. We read later that James is identified as a leader of the Jerusalem church. Not only did James convert, but his beliefs in Jesus and his resurrection were so strong that he also died as a martyr because of them. So there are four facts, right? Of course, if you want to go into that more, have a listen to the sermon, and I recommend the book in the sermon too that you might want to get yourself a copy of. Of course, we've got other facts, but remember what was special about these four facts. They're virtually accepted by every historical scholar, whether Christian or sceptic. Now, we also had that other fact, which was the empty tomb. Now, this wasn't as accepted by general scholarship. It's about 75% of historical scholars believe in the empty tomb. Now, we know that the empty tomb was true because we've got the Jerusalem factor, which, of course, is, well, why didn't the enemies of Jesus produce the body? If it happened in real time, why didn't they say, well, the tomb wasn't empty because they didn't, of course. The enemy attestation. What were the enemies of Jesus saying after the resurrection? Well, they were saying that the body was stolen, which, of course, as we remember last time, meant that the tomb had to be empty. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the testimony of women. 
let's just say women were not accepted as valid testimony back then. And yet, who are those that testified to it? We know that these four facts plus one show that the best explanation was that Jesus died and was resurrected nearly 2,000 years ago. Again, though, don't take my word for it. Have a look into it. Be students of the faith that we celebrate this Easter. We've got every reason to believe it all took place as it is written. Okay. So as we go off now to our family lunches or whatever we're doing, as we have the day off tomorrow, I hope that every one of us is inspired to seek God more, to have a look at reading His Word a bit more and make their lives totally centred upon Him. That when we read history of the Bible, we remember those who paid the price for what we have today. Also, I hope that we can confidently believe and know that Jesus died and was resurrected. And that all of those things that we've spoken about today, that that leads us to getting closer to God and closer to Him on our spiritual journey and to help us share the good news of this truth. And that's really all I've got for us today. Fantastic. little advertisement for next time, hopefully, when I get up here. Uh, we're going to have a look, and this will definitely not be next week, in a couple of months' time, uh, we're going to have a look at the cosmological argument, uh, which is another wonderful argument for God. So if you're interested, maybe have a look at that before we do the next sermon. Maybe avail yourself of some of the, some of the info there. But hopefully that's all been wonderful for you today. You've learned something, you've got something out of it. Uh, should we pray maybe to finish it up? Perfect. All right, thanks. Very good, Matthew. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for out of the mess of this morning uh, getting that uh, said so well. Uh, And hopefully in everyone's ears and minds it's got in and that we've all enjoyed the time together and we've learned something new today. Lord, there's no no uh, pride up here. I certainly don't know it all. I don't think any of us would confess to know everything and be perfect, of course. But Lord, help us to encourage one another. Help us to be there for one another as well. and Help us to teach one another. Mm. We've all got strengths. Uh, We're all various parts of the body. Help us now, as we've reflected on Easter, to think of our Christianity a little bit differently. To think of it more seriously, perhaps. Uh, And to really throw ourselves into the study of who you are, uh, what Easter's all about, of course, uh, and what we can do to to learn more about that. We thank you that in this country, in this place, we still have such a a calendar centred upon your resurrection. Help us to celebrate that, Lord, because if we ignore it, then eventually no one will celebrate it. Help us to celebrate today as we maybe go and see family, friends, or whatever it is. Help us to celebrate what you did and why it's so important for us. Bless us now as we uh, meet in a bit more of a casual atmosphere. Help us to... Um, check in on each other help us to encourage each other thank you for the word said today Lord and pray that everyone uh, has got something new to think about and that you be with everyone in this building as they go out for the rest of this week in your name Lord Amen, Amen. Excellent Thank you very much oh, right. <laughs>